0: Hey guys, welcome back in to part two of the series, this mini-series that we're doing on the podcast called Building a Godly Home. Last week, we uh, started out by laying the first building block, or thinking, I, I, I suggested of thinking of it as layers, layers of building a godly home. And The first one has to do with uh, beginning with personal piety or, or in other words, um, self-government um, in a sense that we are self-regulated, not in the same way, not in the way of autonomy. Um, and autonomy or to self-govern means that I am the king of my own self. Uh, but rather, when we talk about self-government from a Christian view, uh, we're talking about a proper orientation of an individual under God, and, and specifically um, identifying the fruit of the Spirit in that own person, which one of them is self-control, um, and, uh, and submission to Jesus as Lord. And the next layer that we're going to tackle today, and I'm, a, I'm, I'm guessing, I, I haven't written this all y- out yet... Um, But just based on where I think this is headed, this might be a two-parter, maybe even a three-parter, as we begin to talk about the next layer, which is covenant marriage. Now, we live in a day where marriage is—the definition is scrambled, Um, where marriage has apparently a bunch of different definitions. If you ask our culture, a a bunch of different manifestations of it, Um, but— If we're Christians and we're taking God's word seriously, which I hope we are, uh, because it is the only reliable thing that we have in this world, uh, we will come to a very different conclusion, that when we speak of marriage, we mean something very specific. And what we mean by marriage is a it, marriage is a covenant relationship that is created between a man and a woman before God. And not only is it this covenant, this vow, the strongest of all promises uh, made before God, God is the one that's actually binding them together. You see this uh, when when uh, Scripture says, "What God has joined together, let no man separate." So this act of of making a marriage covenant, not only is it before God as a witness and uh, uh, in front of the uh, fellow witnesses, if you know, the people who are there for the wedding ceremony, uh, but it's God who binds them together. And we see this in that God was the one who, to give away the first bride. Uh, when you go uh, back to Genesis chapter 1, chapter 1 and 2, uh, and you see God presenting Eve uh, the first woman, to Adam, the first man. Um, God is the one who walked her down the aisle and presented her uh, to... I'm, I'm speaking metaphorically here, of course, of walking down an aisle, because at that point there was... Uh, to, our, to our knowledge, there was no buildings constructed. Uh, because back in Eden, you could sleep out under the stars. There was no need for shelter. Uh, anyway, God uh, walks Eve to Adam, presents her to him, uh, and then there two become one flesh. That's, that's a, a cadence that's repeated several times um, throughout the scriptures, that uh, a man shall leave his father and mother, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, and that is what we know as, as marriage, and that's what Jesus endorses as marriage. Um, and what we see as we continue reading the Apostle Paul, specifically in Ephesians chapter 5, marriage plays a very specific role. Uh, marriage is a uh, a representation—it's—it's it's theater, if you will. It's—it's it's an uh, an acting out of a spiritual reality, specifically uh, the reality of the gospel of Christ and His Bride, the Church. Um, and so God gives marriage as a an imagery, as a metaphor, as a signpost. Uh, oh, I sounded kind of Minnesotan there for a minute. Uh, as a signpost uh, for what is happening uh, in in the, the spiritual realm, uh, or and will one day be very real as the new heavens and the new earth uh, are presented, um, where that we see Jesus, who is the the bridegroom, uh, taking authority. He says in Matthew twenty eight, "All authority has been given to me," uh, and we see him using that authority to command his bride. Uh, which is the church, to a specific mich- mission, which is to make disciples of all na- nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all uh, that he has commanded. And so we see this, this connection here of Christ, the bridegroom, uh, the church, the bride, and the mission of making disciples uh, all put together, which echoes, um, if you go back to the Garden of Eden, Um, God created Adam first, and God gave Adam a mission, and then Adam quickly realized that he needed a helper, and none of the animals were suitable uh, to be his helpmate, and God put him in a deep sleep, uh, and from him, he extracted a rib and created uh, his bride, who is Eve, uh, and now, so God has created man, he gave the man a mission, and because Adam was insufficient in himself to carry out uh, this mission, to see see to its execution, God created a helper, a helpmate for him. Uh, and so we see this... this uh, the same motif uh, in creation as we see in the new creation, right? Which Jesus is the firstborn of the new creation, uh, and we are living in the resurrection age, <clears throat> uh, in, in the sense that as the first fruits of the resurrection, that we have been buried with Christ and raised with Christ in a spiritual sense, and one day physically as well, that we will be raised with him uh, in the resurrection of life. So you see these, these parallels here between the creation... Uh, of, of marriage, and then also the spiritual reality of marriage between Christ and the Church. And that's—both of those things are meant to play out uh, in, in the home of Christians. Um, so uh, a big piece of building a godly home uh, revolves around having a godly marriage. Um, and now with that, there are going to be specific implications for uh, what does it mean to be a godly husband, what does it mean to be a godly wife— And I want to tease out some of those implications, um, but begin by speaking about marriage um, in general. Um, And one of the things that when we speak about marriage, uh, we have to realize uh, that two things are simultaneously true within the covenant relationship of marriage. And one is the equality of both parties and also there is a hierarchy of the parties. So in other words, um, you can say, like uh, Genesis chapter 1 speaks to, that that both Adam and Eve, both male and female, were created in the image of God. Uh, both were created in God's image and likeness, uh, embedded with dignity, value, and worth that is equal. So um, this idea... Um, of of certain cultures where and this is one of the things that was very um, of the Christ, as the Christian um, worldview advanced in the first century one of the big things uh, that the Christian teaching pushed against was was a a, a an an inequity between men and women. Um, it pushed against that. And and actually, one of the ways that you may not realize it um, is that when the apostles are writing to um, the marital units, husbands and wives, um, one of the ways that, he, that the author, specifically the Apostle Paul or even Peter, does this too— um, that instills the the sense of of equity, of dignity, value, and worth is actually speaking to the women first, uh, which which uh, is backward compared to some of the Greco-Roman household codes um, that were utilized. And actually, I, and I remember preaching on this um, or or exposing some of this back in, in when we were preaching Colossians and maybe even Ephesians, because um, both of those times you see those household co- codes. Appear, uh, but the Greco-Roman household codes were very um, much—I would call it like a um, an unbiblical patriarchy. Um, It it took the idea of um, it it is like a man-centered household. So um, the man was the boss; what he said goes, um, and the wives and children were very much, and and that the those employees or slaves, uh, servants were very much at his whim, um, subjected to him in sort of kind of what could be, uh, a very harsh, um, exercise of authority. Now, the way that apostle Paul speaks of marriage confronts that like head on. Um, and I I don't think we understand that We, we come from a very different culture, um, where we've been seeped in a, uh, a cultural, uh, ideology of egalitarianism where, um, hierarchy is bad, and and I'll kind of expose, talk about that a little bit more, talk about egalitarian and and biblical patriarchy or complementarianism, Um, talk and kind of express some of the difference between those two things. Um, But but that's one of the challenges that uh, Christian worldview brought to the first century world was the equality of the man and the woman um, in marriage. And so as Christians, we uphold that. Uh, men and women are both made in in the uh, image and likeness of God, equal in dignity, value, and worth. There is no, um, there is no man is best um, or woman is best. And, and I feel like right now in our culture, it's starting to, to shift more to be uh, favored towards women. Uh, in, in some regards, at least, it's trending in that direction. Um, and so the Bible speaks against that s- specifically. It ch- just like it challenged the first century, um, it challenges us in the 21st century in our views of, of gender and equity. Um, and at the same time of holding that both man and woman or husband and wife are equal in the eyes of God and their, their dignity, value, and worth, there is also simultaneously true a hierarchy um, of the marriage. And you see this in the language of headship. So the Apostle Paul, in, in using uh, the image of Christ in his church, so Jesus being the head of the church, um, he, he points to the husband being the head of the wife. Uh, so he's, he's creating this covenantal hierarchy. Um, now that does not mean that he's the boss man, uh, that does not mean he's a dictator or some sort of authoritarian, though it does mean he is a representative, and there is a certain authority and responsibility that comes Um, as the head of the covenant. Now you see this in it, its its baby stages, um, when Adam and Eve fall into sin in the, in Genesis chapter three, um, Eve was the one who took the fruit. She was the one that was tempted by the serpent, took the fruit, ate it, gave it to her husband. He ate it. So he instead of her leading, um, taking the responsibility, he he abdicated his responsibility and and followed her instead of leading her, um, and that became sort of the the unraveling of. Of creation and and part of the curse was that this was just going to be part of the nature that that the wife's um, the woman's desire will be to rule over her husband um, and and that's just part of the relational strain that sin puts on uh, a marriage relationship um, and so anyway going back to that Adam had the the you see the headship the responsibility of Adam when God comes to the garden. Um, and he asks for Adam, he's looking for Adam, and he speaks to Adam directly, and he he holds him responsible for the things that transpired, uh, even though Adam was basically, he wasn't, he didn't lead her into that, his abdication allowed her to lead him into it, but God is going to him uh, and holding him responsible for what happened um, in the fall. Now, the, the same concept of headship and responsibility or authority and responsibility um, carries over into the church today. Uh, you see this, um, the apostle Paul in many places. Colossians is one of them. Uh, he, uh, Ephesians chapter five is another one where um, he speaks to wives and says, "Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting in the Lord." And so, what he's doing here is is connecting um, the created order of of uh, and even if you go to First Corinthians eleven, you see this represented too. That um, that is the wife. Um, ought to have a symbol of authority, and this gets into a tricky conversation here about head coverings, and I don't necessarily want to go in there today, but there's a principle in here that hopefully sticks out very clearly to us as we look at 1 Corinthians 11, uh, verse 3, where Apostle Paul says, uh, "'I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ, the head of a wife is her husband, and the head of Christ is God.'" Now later on, uh, the Apostle Paul derives this authority, the structure, um, from from a husband to a wife, from the creative, uh, the creation mandate, or the, not the creation mandate, but but from creation in general. Uh, he says uh, in verse six. Or excuse me, verse eight. For man was not made from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. And so, going back as as I mentioned earlier, the whole creative process that God had created man, given a mission, given him uh, a helpmate in in a woman uh, and a wife uh, uh, to execute and to go about that. Now, Paul is is basically using the same thing. He's using that framework to help inform uh, what the authority structure, the hierarchy of a godly marriage is. Um, and, and one of the most clear places to look at this um, is in either Colossians chapter 4, uh, yep, or... Uh, you can go into actually, excuse me. I meant chapter three, the end of chapter three, or Ephesians chapter five, uh, which I'm flipping to right here, so I don't have to botch this quote. And so let me let me read to you here uh, this this what Paul is speaking into as it comes to husbands and wives in Ephesians five verse twenty two. He says, "Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord." For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So even going back there, you see the authority um, of the husband over the wife um, in the sense of, in, in terms of creation, and then here you see it in terms of redemption, in the sense that that Christ is the Savior of the church. Now, what this doesn't mean is that the husband is the Savior of the wife, but there is a mimicking here that happens in the uh, in the office of husband uh, in, in mimicking the Savior. And she says, now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Now, that's a high bar because he says here, uh, Christ gave himself up for her. That's the kind of love husbands are to have towards their right wife, that he might sanctify her. So there's a mission uh, in, in your husbandly love, to sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so that he might present her, this is Jesus, present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Okay, so that's the kind of love. He loves her like he loves his own body, he who loves his wife. Loves himself because what right to have become one flesh uh, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nurtures and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So another man just loaded here with imagery of of the church language, of the, the like bodily autonomy um, of, of belonging, all of that stuff just, just layered here. Therefore, a man shall leave, here's the quote, shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, these are words of Jesus, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and yes, it is profound. I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church, again, pointing, marriage pointing to Christ and the church. However, let each of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. And so... That's one of the things here as we talk about a godly marriage. Now we can talk about friendship, we can talk about communication, we can talk about um, family vision, we can talk about all of those things. Um, but but I think the starting point of a godly marriage is understanding uh, God's design for marriage, in that it is one man and one woman, um, and for life till death do us part. A covenant made before God, so strong, let no man separate it. It's for a for life. Commitment, and it has a mission. There, there is a shared goal. There is something that the Lord wants to produce um, in this union, uh, both w- within its individual members. I think that uh, you say you can see it, and the husband is to wash his wife with the water of the Word, like Jesus does the church, uh, which is sanctifying to her. But I think that process uh, for a husband to do that to his wife is sanctifying for him as well. Uh, and so there's a, a sense of, of holiness uh, of purification of sanctification that marriage is meant to produce but also uh, marriage is meant to to propagate the gospel to to advance the kingdom of heaven um, you can see this in the fact that the cultural mandate to fill the earth and subdue it um, which you see back in Genesis chapter 3 um, which are there are I think yeah I just did a podcast not too long ago talking about the the uh, the parallels between uh, the the great commission of making disciples of all nations, which includes your babies, uh, and also of filling the earth and subdue it, the cultural mandate to build culture, to extract the glory of creation. Well, you see it here too, um, to, to, to continue kingdom advancement, and one of the ways that we do that is by having babies um, and raising them up in the way of the Lord, Ephesians 5 uh, and 6, excuse me, Ephesians 6, talking about how we do that, and Deuteronomy 6 and other places that speak about child-rearing, um, and that's going to be part of the, the future conversation. So in this discussion of building a godly home, um, we really have to come to this and kind of reckon with this piece First, when we are speaking about covenant marriage, it's it's the uh, these two simultaneously true things that both parties are equal um in dignity, value, and worth, created in the image of God. At, at the same time, there is a hierarchy. There's an authority structure, or you could even say a government structure. And government, not specifically speaking in and you know, we went through this last week, um not necessarily in in terms of of civil government. Um, but just in the fact government in terms of how you order things, because um, God is the God of order um, and he graciously gives us order for uh, the world, for the church and for the home specifically within marriage. Uh, and so we really have to start out here. Now, what's going on in our society right now? We uh our society has an aversion to this. They 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 severely despise um, any of this. Part of it has to do with the rise of feminism, um, that uh, that perhaps was at one point a a helpful, constructive uh, sort of endeavor um, to to work for certain equalities between men and women. But at a certain point, um, striving for equality um, in in dignity, value, and worth. Uh, shifted to sort of a utilitarian definition of equality, um, uh, to say that a man can do, or a woman can do everything a man can do, and a man can do everything a woman can do. So basically it it eliminates the gender, just gender role distinctions that God has given us that are imprinted uh, in created. Uh, order in, in, in the fact of how God created uh, humanity and sort of usurping those and creating our own idea of humanity and, and masculinity and femininity. And now you have in the church—this is what the case is within uh, liberal denominations, liberal churches—they blur the lines there, specifically getting into uh, roles of, of women in the church, the, the office of elders specifically. Um, saying, well, she can do that. Like we can appoint a female pastor. She can communicate just as good as any man. And they ignore uh, pieces of that. Now the same thing is and that's a whole other topic. I don't want to necessarily get into that. Um, but you see the same sentiment coming into uh, marriage where you, you, she's well. Why can't she be the head of of the household? Why can't she be the head of her marriage? She's more. She's smarter. She's more competent. Um, she's more driven. She and maybe she's more masculine. She has some of those cultural. Masculine features. You know, why can't she do some of those things uh, and be considered the head of the household or to be head of head of the body? Or you know. Um well, it's because God directs us in a specific way. There's a specific order to uh, a godly Christian home, uh, and a lot of Christians are missing the mark in how they order uh, their own marriages. Um, and so, I think that's one of the biggest problems that's going on in evangelicalism right now is that you have this huge confusion of of men sort of just sitting back. In fact, this is one of the this is one of the downfalls of modern evangelicalism is the feminization of Christianity, um, and and we sense. that this. When we when we moved into this building, it was feminized. Um, the the my office was painted pink. Uh, you walked in the sanctuary. Uh, uh, there was a giant pink strip of paint over the archway. Um, there's still a little bit of pink up there. We just can't, you know haven't gotten around to painting that part, but it felt very feminine. Um, And and I think that that wasn't unique to this church. It's something that has happened in a lot of places, even with the portrayal of Jesus as this feminine sort of character. Um, The the, uh, blue-eyed, bushy, bushy um, bushy-eyelashed, gentle-faced, you know, flowing locks... Sissy Jesus, that we that is a, sort of a caricature of modern uh, pop evangelical art, um, which I think is a travesty, which is why we exercised all of the Jesus photos, uh, paintings when we moved in, uh, because it was sort of an eff- effeminate Jesus. Now th- there is there is biblical charge for men to be men and women to be women. And that's something that our our society is struggling with big time. So it's not just it's not just in the realm of marriage where you're seeing this egalitarian drift happen. Um, you're seeing this in in the broader society where um, with the transgender movement where you see this the sort of non binary stuff that's going on. What is that? It's it's a confusion of the created order, and and God is a God of order, not a God of chaos. God is not a God of confusion, uh, and so one of the God, things that God does that's gracious uh, for us as as His creature is creates order that promotes flourishing and a godly marriage that is ordered in a biblical way in this sort of a husband as the head the wife submitting to her husband the husband loving the wife as Christ loves the church the the wife respecting her husband and submitting as she would unto Christ right that that's the sort of beauty uh, that promotes flourishing human flourishing that's the context uh, where children will thrive and grow up and see godliness demonstrated uh, and the word of God God taken for what it says and not twisted and contorted in a way uh, to get the, to fit the the cultural norms of the moment. Um, and so I think this is one thing that we really have to fight for when we're building a godly home is going back to the word of God and, and asking the question, how does God instruct us to order our home? What What is the nature of these relationships? Now, I, I'm going to spend a little bit more time down the road. Uh, probably in these next couple, two sessions, um, speaking specifically to husbands, right? W- what is your responsibility in building a godly home? And for wives, what is your responsibility uh, for building a godly home or, or a godly marriage? What does that look like? How? What are the challenges? What are the obstacles we're going to face? Uh, how, how can we actually strive to that end? Um, and so I, I wanted to lay this out first because I think this is really important um, to see this this connection the, uh, of the equality and hierarchy. Simultaneously, they're not they're not contradictory of each other. Um, just because there's a hierarchy doesn't mean the the person um, that's that's responsible or given authority is more important than the other person. That's not at all the case. Uh, in fact, that's something that that is very clear that God shows no par- partiality. Um, that's true of all sort of structures whether it's it's a uh, an ethic thing there's no neither Jew nor Gentile, whether it's a a um, a golly, a gender thing uh, male nor female, uh, whether it's a uh, I'm running out of brain juice here, whether it is a, uh, economic thing, rich or poor, right? In God's eyes, there is no partiality. All are equal, and so we say that, but also God instructs us to, to organize uh, our households in this way. So uh, let me leave you with that that question right here. Is your house, does your marriage reflect this equi- equality um, and uh, hierarchy that God has created? Um, and if not, what does it look like to move toward that? I know it's hard. And, and I think that this is one of the big struggles with, with couples that have been used to functioning in a, in a relatively egalitarian way. Uh, maybe the husband stands back while she does what she's good at and, and really, uh, takes care of a lot. Now I'm not saying that, that the husband has to take care of everything. Um, and, and she just has to sit there and look pretty. That's not at all the case. Um, that there, there is, she's a helpmate that, that, Husbands need the help of the wife uh, to accomplish the mission that God's put before them, um, but it is the responsibility uh, of husbands to, to work to that end, to make sure, to ensure that the vision of the family and the marriage is moving in that direction, uh, and so how husbands... Do we need to be gearing up for that? What does it look like uh, to move in that? And and maybe maybe the question is: We need challenge. Um, do we view? Are you? Are we viewing each other as equals in the eyes of God, or is there partiality? And if, if there is partiality, well, we need to repent from that, uh, and then with that, receive uh, grace, and then also acknowledge. All right, now repentance looks like living into this, showing no partiality, but there is a a order to uh, a godly marriage, a godly home. Uh, And so let that be sort of an introduction here to building a godly marriage. Uh, if you have any questions about this, if there's any any pieces of this conversation uh, that you'd love to, to hear me speak on, uh, let me know. Shoot me an email, sam at sacredcitychurch.com. I'd love to, to work through those. Uh, again, this is a huge topic. I could spend a long, long, long time trying to build this out, and, and really it takes a lifetime uh, to expand on everything, but I want to at least lay the basics out in front of us. Get the, the building blocks here of building a godly family um, out on the table, and then we can prayerfully, uh, and, and reliance upon the Holy Spirit and the power of Christ that's working in us uh, strive towards these things for the glory of god and the good of our people Uh, and so hit me up with those questions let me know um, and we will continue plugging away on how to build a godly home